everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, As we anticipate Easter, we are living in the season of Lent, and this is the time in the church's calendar where we prepare our hearts for not just the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus. And we remember our own need for God and our dependence on him. And so one of the things we're doing during this season is we're going to be doing contemplative practices. And what we're going to do today is a confession of sin. So turn to the person next to you and just, no, I'm kidding. Uh, We live in a culture that doesn't like to talk about sin. And even in church, we don't confess our sin very often. But it's one of the ways that we keep ourselves from believing that we are perfect, (laughs) from believing that we have arrived. From re, uh, it is to reorient our hearts toward God, who is the overflowing source of good and peace and forgives us through his sacrificial death. But we cannot save ourselves. We have, at some point this week, uh, even at some point today, gone course. And the, the Bible uses actually several metaphors and words for sin. One of the words for sin that we are maybe most familiar with is the equivalent, equivalent of guilt, as in you've done a crime, you deserve justice. But there are other metaphors as well, to miss the mark, to transgress, or if you think of even what you might mean by transgression, is you've gone off the path, you've wandered into a... a you've trespassed, in a sense, into a place where you were not designed to go. And so I'm going to be reading through a series of scriptures, and the idea is not to overwhelm you with guilt, but simply to remind you that we are in need of forgiveness and in need of sin, and so that you would actually be free, not burdened by your sin. The idea in confessing our sin is that we would let the forgiveness of Jesus settle into our hearts and be free from sin. And so, um, don't think about sin in the abstract. Think about sin in the specific, uh, your own specific sin. 1 John 1 verse 10 says, If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. And so take a moment, take a few deep breaths to let that settle in. Now, as I read the words of Jesus, remember that God is not simply concerned with our actions, but concerned with our hearts. And if you have trouble thinking of where you might have gone off the road, uh, what sins you may have committed, simply ask God to bring those to mind. (laughs) 
Um, but try to trace those deeds or actions back to heart conditions as Jesus describes them. So Jesus said, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. Jesus says in another place that murder is simply hating another person. Adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Now the words of Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly or to promote justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so bring uh, sin or sins to your mind, false motives, selfish desires, lust, which is simply love turned in on itself. And pray these words of Psalm 32 with me. Could you actually read them out loud, like not just in your heart with me? I acknowledge my sin to you and do not cover up my iniquity. I confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgive the guilt of my sin. Now remember that God is quick to forgive your sins, but with repentance there is not just a verbalization of sin, but a redirection of the heart. And so there is an invitation. And so I'm going to just let there be a moment of silence for you to ask God what he is inviting you into. Come Holy Spirit. So Jesus, we know that you are present here. We know that you take away our guilt and cleanse us from our shame. And it is out of your love that you came to us in the person of Jesus. And so now as we reflect on who you are, on your character, let not the last word be that we are imperfect sinners but saved children, adopted into your family. I pray that that would be experienced today, not just known. So pour out your spirit in this room. Amen.
as a way of transition today to our Bible Project series. Uh, we'll show a video in a second, but first I actually want to read through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, there is deep wisdom in these steps because they are ultimately rooted in the truth of Scripture. And while not all of us struggle with an addiction to alcohol, we are all addicted to something, even if it is ourselves. And so as I read through the steps, I would just invite you not to think about other people who have problems, but yourself and where you're at on your own journey. And so step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, or let's just say sin, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That word has teeth, doesn't it? And I think about how profound it is that hope begins with the knowledge that we are dependent on God and not self-sufficient. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So in our theology course, uh, we're looking at the early church fathers, and we read from Augustine recently a prayer that he said before his conversion. He said, God, make me chaste, but not yet. So are you ready to have God remove all these defects of character? That's honest, isn't it? <laughs> Number seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight, made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Number 10, continued to take a personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. So a repentant heart is contrasted to a heart that is defensive. So when we are made to feel or when we feel guilty, I don't know if anybody can make us feel guilty, <laughs> but when we feel guilty, when we feel attacked, when we feel criticized, we usually do one of two things. We get defensive, the walls come out, or we return with criticism, the gloves come off. And so this process of repentance is not a one-time deal. <laughs> it is daily, it is weekly, it is for the rest of our lives. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. You see how wise this is? Number 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So if you have come to a place of spiritual maturity, 
what is next? It's to share the message of Jesus and to keep repenting. (laughs) As we jump to the Bible Project video, there is uh, a theme throughout the Bible that begins, as you'll see, in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, that we were designed to be priests and kings, but we could not fulfill those duties as humans apart from God. And so we tried to define good and evil for ourselves. We questioned the word of God, and we, as humans, took matters into our own hands. Uh, We still do that, don't we? And well, ultimately, the story takes us to our need for Jesus, our perfect priest and king. And so let's cue up the Bible Project video. So at the center of all of creation is God. And we were created for him, to be in relationship with him. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I know you all got an hour less of sleep than you might have on a normal Sunday, but we're going to explain the Trinity. <laughs> and uh, and, and I'm, you're an hour less of sleep listening, and I'm an hour less of sleep talking, but we're going to do our best. I see that many of you have already grabbed Bibles, and if you didn't bring one or would like to, there are still a few on those back carts. You could grab them and turn to John chapter 14. As you turn there... Uh, which is on page 1127. I'm going to read a little bit about the character of God that Emily spoke about last week from Exodus 34, verse 6. You may remember if you were here. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is just one of the descriptions of the God who created the world and who saved us and who redeemed us. We believe that this God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And we believe that Jesus actually gives us a perfect picture of who this God is. John 14, verse 6, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, Thomas in particular, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him because you have seen me. As the church has sought to understand who God is, there have been from really very early on descriptions of the attributes of God. Uh, You find them in the very beginning of the first few centuries, but this uh, that I want to read to you now, as you flip a forward a hundred pages to Ephesians chapter one in your Bibles, comes from the Belgic Confession, which was written by a persecuted Protestant church to defend their own beliefs against the persecuting Catholic Church. It was written in 1561. It says, we all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. And now we get a list. And this list, I hope, draws you into worship and awe 
and helps you realize that you are not God at the same time. Eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. We believe as Christians, imperfectly, (laughs) uh, without complete knowledge that God is one and God is three. And we get little hints of this in the New Testament. So John, or sorry, Paul, in the first letter to the Ephesians, begins in chapter 3, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. The opening line there, we get two persons of the Trinity and the reminder that we were meant to be in union with that triune God, three persons in community, and we were meant to come in to that fellowship. Verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. If you jump down to verse 13, he begins addressing Gentiles, which is all of us, I think, uh, unless you have Jewish parents. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And you, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. If you jump down to verse 16, you get a little bit of like the purpose of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray constantly asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you, the NLT says spiritual wisdom, but another good way to translate this would be the spirit of wisdom. But in any case, it's coming from the Holy Spirit, this wisdom is, and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. And so, we can put up this next slide. We believe in the Trinity, one God, three persons, or one substance, essence, and nature being fully contained in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we try to draw pictures. We try to use metaphors. Of course, none of them are complete because God is infinite and we are finite. And so, well, that explains it, right? You got it now? Trinity is understood. (laughs) The Son is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father Um, We believe in three persons in one essence. That word for essence is usia in the Greek. 
this will come in handy if you're doing the theology course with us this coming Saturday. But anyway, um, if this helps you at all, Jesus is two natures or two essences in one person. Is that helpful? A little bit? So you have Usia, three, one usia, one essence in three persons. That's the Trinity. You have Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, indivisible, undivided, unchanged, but unconfused. I don't know if there's like a perfect example of this in any of the things that we know, but I think about Spider-Man a little bit, like fully spider, <laughs> fully man. <laughs> uh, but... That, that's, that's an analogy. <laughs> Back to the Trinity, that's what we're talking about. Again, my, my hope is that we get this picture of how beautiful and great and amazing God is that we would worship. And so as we have tried to understand the Trinity as the church over all of time, we come up with perhaps uh, the idea of a triangle or the human being being bought or mind soul and body, right? There's three parts, one human. Uh, I was sitting in my living room yesterday and I lit a fire on March 12th. (laughs) And I was looking and I thought, sort of like flame, heat, and light. Three parts of the fire, one fire. And I know if you're a chemist, you're thinking, but there's different things. But like to, to set what the fire, the flame, the light, the heat, all are the fire. And yet there are three parts of the fire. Again, analogies are imperfect. Um, there is a Dutch word that if you listen to the daily reflections I used back in December, gazellig. You guys remember this word? There's no perfect English equivalent to the word gazellich. But the Dutch described gazellich as the idea of, let's pretend it's snowy and cold outside. I know this takes a great deal of imagination. (laughs) But that's not gazellich. Gazellich is that you are inside, up close to the fire, with a warm blanket and a warm drink. Perhaps it's single origin, uh, Ethiopian, hand pour coffee or Earl Grey tea, hot, or something else uh, that you would like to have in your cup when it's cold outside. But it's not just that you are comfortable. It is that you are with people that you love in this space. That is gazellich. So it's cozy with community. And there's joy, and there's peace, and there's love And the Trinity is a communion, a community, a cozy, related, interwoven group that goes on forever and has no beginning and is infinitely better than Gazellich on a cold day. And so you might think of this idea as there are teams that, have multiple parts, but can sometimes play as one. This is one way we can understand the Trinity. Have you ever watched Syracuse play zone defense? It is five players on the court, but they play as one unit and they're super frustrating because this defense is, they're good. Okay, maybe this 
no one is really connecting with this. The, uh, when Kansas lost to Syracuse like 15 years ago in the national championship, it was one of those deeply scarring events for me in my life. And there was nothing you could do against that zone. Uh, maybe think of it in terms of uh, a crew team. Uh, there's one boat. They're all working in such unity and such union that they're, it's like they're one. It's like they're one or living organism. Insert your favorite sports analogy or whatever. But uh, t again, you have to take that by infinity into the beyond forever, and you get closer to what we mean by the union of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Some people have drawn pictures. So this icon was made back in the 14th or 15th century by a person named Rublev. And this is a picture of the Trinity as it appears to Abraham. Do you know the story of three strangers come to Abraham and later Abraham realizes, oh my goodness, God was in my tent, which is mind-bending in and of itself. But you have these three figures. In the middle is Jesus, uh, represented by the brown of the earth, the humanity, but the blue of his divinity. You'll notice all the, cre all the figures have blue on them at some point. And if you notice the two figures to the side, what do they form? A chalice. So it's as if Jesus is in the Eucharist or the communion or the Lord's Supper formed by the other two figures. Both the figures on the right are looking to the figure on the left that represents God the Father clothed in perfect light, the gold of God the Father. And the idea is not just that, oh, look, there's a representation of the Trinity. Did you notice that there are four seats at this table? And you're invited to sit with them and enjoy the feast of heaven. You look into the picture and you would sit on that fourth side. That is the desire of God. The next picture is the way the Celts describe the dance of the Trinity. So have you ever noticed on a Celtic cross, there are these knots that interweave? This is to describe the perichoresis, which actually goes back to an idea from John of Damascus in the 8th century. Fun, fun fact. The perichoresis describes a dance, a perfect dance of unity. And so you have three persons, one God, coming together in a perfect dance, perfect unity, perfection, and beauty, and glory, infinite. And we need him. We are not God. God has called us priests because we were made for his presence. We are designed to enter in to this dance. He invites us to join him. And we have to constantly remind ourselves that we are dependent, that we are creatures, that we are made. And Wendell Berry is a poet who puts it like this. It is easy for me to imagine that the next great division of the world, 
or you might say the next great decision that we all have to make this century is between people who wish to live as creatures and people who wish to live as machines. Machines that just keep on running, that know no limits, <laughs> that are defined by how productive they are. But a creature, a creature is frail. A creature is weak. A creature is vulnerable. And I choose to live as a creature because I am someone with limits, in need of an infinite God. I am a sinner who is in need of a savior. And we are all people in need of God. And so I would simply invite you to stand. And we're going to turn our hearts toward this God, toward the triune creator of the entire universe, who is love, who is perfect joy and peace. If you can imagine stepping into the middle of the Trinity, you have perfect peace, joy, and love. And we're going to worship this God through our words, through our song, uh, and with our hearts. And so we invite you, Jesus, to send your spirit to come and meet us here this morning. Pour out your presence. Give us spiritual wisdom. Give us spiritual eyes. Wake us up. Not just out of our sleepy bodies, but out of our sleepy spirits. Wake us up. We invite you. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.